Coming to you from Silicon Valley, I'm Marcus Edwards, and I'm on the hunt for recruiting leaders, producers, innovators, and pioneers who've made their mark on the industry and can't wait to share their points of view. We'll tackle the tough topics and dig deep to find the answers you're looking for and some actionable advice you can take to the bank. So stick around and stay tuned, and welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. Okay, I'm very excited to welcome my guest today to Recruiting Trailblazers. Zach Gallinger is the president at Talent Hero, a recruitment marketing agency where he helps recruiters with strategies that help them find new clients and new candidates without cold calling or attending networking events or simply sitting around and waiting for a word of mouth referral. So welcome to the podcast, Zach Gallinger. How are you, Zach? I'm doing pretty well today. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing quite well as well. And I'll just admit, we've been having some sound issues. So let's hope that this one works. It's great to get you on the podcast. You're up in Toronto, Canada. How is it there today? Uh, it's freezing as it's been for quite a while now, but we'll get by. You'll get by. Um, let's get straight into it then, Zach. Let's start off with a question about mindset. Um, and a lot of us recruiters come from sort of the one-to-one era of recruiting you know, where we reached out to all our candidates and clients individually and sort of built those relationships brick by brick, so to speak. How has the world of recruiting changed from a marketing perspective? And what do you think is the right modern mindset to succeed in recruiting? Sure. So, I mean, I think the the biggest change that we've seen, you know, as the internet sort of took over recruiting is scale. Um, so basically, you know, previously you were really res- constricted to your uh, geography in which you operated. It was very difficult to expand beyond that geography. Of course, you could open up a new office, but you know that would require serious amounts of capital. Whereas now, with the internet, you can really recruit across the country or even across the world with just a website, um, you know, and a and a solid plan. So I think that what companies need to do is really think about well, what does that solid plan entail? And I think that is where a lot of um, recruiters struggle, which is sort of getting into the right mindset and then then employing the plan. So, you know, that plan is going to involve picking the right marketing channels for your specific niche, um, the exact type of businesses you're going after, and then, you know, executing the plan um, that that uh, for that channel. And in my experience, having spoken with dozens of recruiters over the years, I think many of them struggle with both those areas. I, you know, they may pick the wrong channel, channel where they're, they're um, their clients don't really live. And then if they do pick the right channel, it's difficult to execute the strategy. It's, it's one thing to say, I want to show up at the top of Google search results, or you know, I want to have a solid email marketing um, campaign. But actually executing that is, um, is a challenge, especially for small businesses. Yeah. And how important is it from a marketing perspective to sort of be a vertically organized business, especially if you're a smaller recruitment agency? Is it critically important to be a niche player or does this marketing sort of strategy work um, for generalists as well? Um, I would say that if you are a smaller business, let's say one to five um, recruiters, you definitely want to pick a niche and stick with it at all costs, Um, especially for, you know, the solo recruiter. Uh, You maybe you probably want to go even more niche than you think is right. So, you know, sometimes people will come to me and say, I'm a tech recruiter, I'm an IT recruiter, you know, I'm, I'm in that niche. And I'll say to them, that's not really a niche at this point, because there are 
thousands of companies just like yours, many of whom have far more resources. So I think what you want to do when you're thinking about your niche is actually, um, you know, go even smaller. So rather than a tech recruiter, you probably want to be, you maybe even pick like a programming language and be, you know, a JavaScript recruiter, or, you know, you might want to be a machine learning recruiter, something that is so small that when someone comes to you and finds your business, they'll know immediately that you have, you know, some specific expertise that will help them beyond all of the more generic or even, you know, higher level niche businesses that are your competition. Yeah, I think as a smaller agency, it's very important indeed to be a subject matter expert in your space um, and to be able to share the value proposition that you're talking to those types of people, those types of candidates all day, every day. And you've got, you know, plenty of relationships in that field. So, I mean, you're talking about different channels and, and, and a marketing, an overall marketing strategy. What does that marketing strategy or what are the questions that you need to ask yourself before you sort of go headlong into, you know, a new modern digital marketing strategy? Sure. So, I mean, I think there's a few questions you're going to need to think about. One is, you know, where, do, where are my client leads reasonably going to come from? So, you know, one one of the strategies that we talk about a lot is SEO. Um, so, you know, trying to rank your business in the search results. And I think that it works for virtually every type of, uh, type of recruiter because there are going to be people who are going to Google when they're looking for a new recruiter and are going to be typing in something like, you know, your niche plus the word recruiter or recruiting agency or executive search. And, you know, it's an excellent choice of channels because you know by virtue of the fact that the person is searching that they're looking to hire right now. Um, so you figure out, you know, how does your niche operate in terms of where people might be, um, you know, working. I think an example of a channel that some recruiters pursue that's not often as effective may be social media. Um, it certainly can work for some niches, but it can be difficult for recruiters to kind of get um, in front of the right people at the right time when they're employing a social media strategy, simply because um, it's often the case that people don't really want to hear from recruiters at all times, but simply when they have a specific need to hire. Um, it's a complicated topic there, but I think that it, it tends to be overemphasized. So, you know, picking the right channel and then um, thinking about, you know, what's it going to take to actually succeed in that channel? And if you think about it, it's really going to come down to time or money, right? So do you have the budget in terms of the time that you can put into that channel or the, you know, cash budget that you can pay to somebody else so that you will actually achieve the results um, that you're expecting? Um, you know, SEO is a expensive channel, but, um, you know, can produce very good results. Um, and I think the last thing to think about is time scale. Um, you know, what is the time scale or time frame in which you sort of are expecting to get those results? And going back to SEO, it's a long-term play. It's, you're, you're not going to achieve results overnight. Whereas something like, you know, if you need business today, something like email marketing or maybe even Google ads is going to be a lot more appropriate for your specific goals. So I think just thinking about where people live, um, budget as well as time frame is really the, the key thing to think about when picking a channel. Right. And I know that you specialize both in SEO and in email marketing. We're going to touch on both of those topics um, in a short while. But I wanted to sort of stay in the mindset arena for a, a minute longer and talk about how important sure. it is to sort of build a brand 
maybe a brand from an agency perspective, an individual perspective, possibly even internal recruiting brand as well, because there's so much talk about building an effective brand. In other words, sort of entering the consciousness of the people that you might ultimately want to prospect with, whether it's a candidate or a client, so that they recognize your brand or they recognize you as an individual, and they're more open to the idea of having an initial conversation with you. How do you think about brand and where are the opportunities for recruiters today? Well, I think that um, the opportunities for a a well-branded recruiter are actually quite significant. And the reason is that um, most players in the recruiting agency are not even thinking about brand even at a basic level. So simply by, you know, having just, just kind of doing the bare minimum, you're often sort of out competing. Now, you know, let's say you are a recruiter, you've picked your niche and you want to think about how do you represent yourself. So first off, I think, you know, you need to have, um, sort of the right type of language that speaks to your audience. So, um, you know, Figuring out how your audience speaks and then, you know, reflecting that on your website is one example of a solid way to build a brand. If you're in, for example, say the finance sector, you may want to use, you know, financial jargon, very professional corporate language. Whereas if you're in, you know, other sectors like say marketing recruiter, you're probably going to want to have a slightly different tone, um, you know, within your, within your website. Um, another thing you want to think about is, um, you know, who are the, the personas of the people that you're targeting. Um, so I think it's very important to make sure that you understand like their mindset when they're coming to your website and uh, make sure that the website is sort of tailored towards their specific needs. So I think those are two kind of key things to think about with branding. I mean, are there any other components that spring to mind as well outside of websites? What about sort of podcasts and events and webinars or stuff like that? Yeah, so those can be quite effective. Um, you know, one of the reasons I, I, uh, you know, I tend to shy away from the small to medium sized recruiter when talking about those types of, um, you know, branded events is that it does take up a lot of resources. So if you do sort of have a plan to execute that, um, you know, within, you know, the size of your team, I think those are excellent tools. You know, we have one recruiter who's a marketing recruiter who has their own podcast. They're a relatively small firm and they put out, they probably put out 50 very high quality episodes with some real industry leaders. When you go to their website and you first discover them, you know, and you're looking for a marketing employee, you're instantly going to be impressed by this, right? There's just no question that you're going to, you're going to know right away that they are, you know, somebody who knows what they're talking about. I think in practice, though, they are the exception to the rule. It is really difficult to create 50 episodes of a podcast or, you know, produce high quality webinars. You can tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you know. So um, it's not that I I think those are excellent ideas. I just think that people, um, you know, have to be sort of realistic with where they're at with their business. Once you kind of get to, I think, to the sort of 15 employee mark and you bring on a full-time marketing person to sort of handle these tasks, I do think those are excellent ideas. Yeah, indeed. And and I think modern recruitment businesses are looking at marketing very differently because we used to be a very, very transactional business. And when there was no obvious ROI, there was no spend for that kind of activity, was there? That's correct. And I still think, you know, it's... The mindset may have shifted among certain segments of the, of the recruiting world, but 
you know, I speak with a lot of recruiters and I wouldn't say it's maybe that different. Um, when people are looking at ROI, when I speak to, to Monus recruiters, they're thinking about, you know, how much did I spend on a very clearly measured basis to acquire my new, you know, to acquire this lead or to acquire a new customer? And, you know, what did that get me? And marketing is still difficult to measure, right? If I produce 50 great podcasts, it's very rare that someone's going to say to me, I heard your podcast and I came to your website. And that's like the only reason that, you know, we're working together versus I found your website through search. And then when I landed on the website, I saw that you had all these podcasts and that sort of, you know, changed my perspective on, you know, your type of business. And so I reached out to you. Like it's these difficult sort of connections that, um, that are made in the mind of a pros- prospect that are very difficult for anyone to capture. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. We, we've always been, I mean, certainly on the agency side, we've always been a sales-driven industry as opposed to a marketing-driven in- industry. But that's changing. And, um, you know, I had a great conversation with Kelly Shutrop of Parker last week about digital marketing and automation as well. And there's so many fantastic tools and new strategies that are coming out that are available to recruiters, you know, to spread the message far and wide and to build that sort of that brand in the marketplace. Um, you know, when I think about going to recruiter websites, especially sort of smaller or independent recruiter websites, they're all pretty much the same. Um, they're, they're kind of, they're place marker kind of websites. They don't really have a great deal of functionality. Occasionally they have a jobs page. What's the main problem that you see with most recruiter websites? I think that um, they're just, they, they're not professional looking. I think that, you know, in 2022, um, we've all seen thousands of websites in our lives at this point, and we kind of have a very instant ability to, you know, look at a website in one second and make a decision as to like, is this a professional company or is this, you know, amateur hour? And I think that there's just so many websites that they just look very amateurish. And I think that the impression it leaves on people is negative. And there's a lot of people who are just not going to continue even, you know, exploring your site at that point. So you're right that there's many, you know, going beyond that, as you sort of were hinting at, there are many websites that look very good that don't offer much more than, you know, um, a fancy packaging. But I do think we're still at a time where the smaller independent recruiters could really just, you know, benefit quite a bit from a design overhaul. Yeah. Yeah. And most websites, you know, they've got an about page and a services page and a contact page, but I don't think a lot of recruiters and recruiting agencies are posting sort of long form content on their website on a regular basis, right. which would strike me to be, you know, the strategy you would need to adopt if you wanted to use that in conjunction with SEO, right? Um, well, it's a tricky question to answer, like what type of the exact content you want. Um, but definitely longer content that can certainly support an SEO strategy. Um, but there is an element of SEO, which is kind of like a game with meaning that you may not always post the content that is ideal for your audience, but, you know, maybe ideal for Google's algorithm. Google sort of likes to claim that those should be one and the same, but in practice, it's not always the case. So sometimes like blog posts that, you know, speak to uh, the industry in which you operate and, and it's, and it's labor market 
might be sort of helpful for SEO, but might not be perfect for your audience. And some, you have to make a decision as to what are you going to write about? Because uh, there can be a conflict at times. Yeah. I mean, what's the point of an inbound website? What's the point of building a website with content? Are you trying to attract candidates? Are you trying to attract clients? And, and how effective can it be? Right. So that's a, that's a really good question, the candidate versus client sort of split, because what we see in the data is that, you know, if somebody's typing in practice area plus recruiter, 80% of the time, it's going to be a candidate, roughly. 20% of the time, it will be a business. And that's kind of natural because obviously there's far more um, candidates in the market than there are businesses. Well, there used to be. Yeah, that's true. Um, in, in a typical world, yes, that's true. Um, and so right now, um, you know, you have to sort of understand that sort of that dynamic is that play. Now, you may not want sort of candidates coming to your website and that's just sort of the nature of inbound. Like you're going, if, an SEO inbound strategy, you're going to find them, um, coming to your website. Now, the reason though, um, you know, let's say you're trying to build a, a business, trying to find client leads. That 20% who's coming through SEO can be extremely valuable um, just because they are actively searching for a recruiter. They've basically, you know, they've probably been bombarded with phone calls and emails already. And for whatever reason, you know, maybe just they don't like to do business that way. They've decided, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm not looking through all those pitches that people have made. I'm going to do my own research. So if they've entered that stage and then they found your website, you know, if your website can speak to their specific needs, you know, typically around their niche or even, you know, the specific job they're hiring, you're going to get a really good chance to, you know, book a call with them and get them on the phone just because they're in the mindset of like, I need to hire someone now. And you know that because they're doing that search for a reason. Okay. So what type of content do you need to be publishing to have a shot at attracting those types of individuals? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, there's a, there's two sort of um, ways to think about it. One is like holistically, what does your website need to have on it to convince people? Actually, let's take a step back. Let's think about how do we attract people first off? So I think that for every sort of practice area or industry that you're targeting, you're going to need a dedicated page on your website. So for example, one of our clients is a life sciences recruiter. So they have a page speaking to biotech recruiting and healthcare recruiting and pharma recruiting and medical devices recruiting. So each one of those sort of separate, let's call it disciplines within the bigger life sciences area has its own page on their website. So that's critically important is to think about those different uh, keywords that someone might use to find your business and to create a page for it. The next thing you're going to want to do is create supporting content. That supporting content is part of what helps you rank in the search results. So, for example, um, if you're a biotech, let's say, but go back to the biotech recruiting example, you're going to want to put up things like biotech recruiting, uh, biotech resume template, or you know how to uh, you know conduct an interview for a biotech um, you know candidate. Um, those are all the types of content that can help sort of support. Um, your SEO strategy. And then is that something you have to be executing on a weekly basis and just continuing to build that content to get a high ranking in Google? Well, yeah, I don't know if I'd say weekly basis. Typically, you may want to, you know, 
come up with this sort of editorial calendar. Let's say it's, uh, you know, uh, 20 posts. And then you kind of just want to execute it in the shortest amount of time possible. Um, you know, just because the faster you get that content up, then the more quickly you have a chance to see, you know, well, how do my rankings change in Google search results? And, you know, am I now sort of attracting new traffic to the website? Um, I think the other thing to think about, though, the holistic sort of side is, does my website sell my abilities? Um, so, you know, even when someone finds your biotech recruiting site, there are probably going to be many other sites that they're going to be investigating or other companies. And so I think what you need to make sure your website have is what's called social proof. So basically just examples of your past successes sprinkled throughout the pages on your website. So that could be, you know, logos of businesses you've worked for or well-written and sort of, you know, high quality testimonials, case studies, um, you know, reviews from third-party sites that are embedded on your site. You just want to want to make sure that that social proof is there so that someone who discovers you is, you know, quickly convinced that they found the right business and that, you know, you're worth reaching out to. Right. And as we all know, you know, it's if you build it, they don't necessarily come, do they? And right. sometimes it takes quite a long time. So do you suggest publishing this content in other places as well as just on your website? Well, I think the challenge is that, you know, it's tough to, like, let's say you publish it on LinkedIn. Um, that's like a, a channel you might own, or you at least own your LinkedIn page. Um, unless you have a strategy to promote your LinkedIn content, it's kind of, you're going to run into the same problem there, right? Nobody is going to see it. Um, and you can kind of see this if you start posting regularly on LinkedIn, you can see the number of impressions that the content gets. If you have a sizable following, it's a great idea to post it both on, you know, your website as well as LinkedIn. In terms of other channels, you know, it's difficult because um, there aren't really many other free channels, right? Um, you can try guest posting, which means, you know, pitching your content for other people's websites. But, you know, there's a cost in time associated with that. So um, typically what I say to people is it's good to have both a short-term strategy like email marketing as well as a long-term one because, um, you know, they go kind of hand in hand. Yeah. And so when it comes to SEO, when you're writing these articles for your website yeah. um, or blog, what, what are the basic rules? What are the three or four things that you have to remember when you're writing these articles? Because I don't know much about SEO, but I know if you yeah. pepper it with too many keywords, um, yeah. first of all, you've got to get the right keyword, I suppose. But if you pepper it with too many keywords, then Google sort of cries foul play, yeah? That's, that's correct. Yeah, that's certainly one thing to do is you need to think about what's called keyword density. So how frequently do you use the keywords you're trying to rank in the within the post? You don't want to do it. You don't want to underdo it, but you also don't want to overdo it because um, that can be a problem. There are tools available that sort of help you determine if you're doing it at the right frequency um, so that you can, you know, one example is Yoast SEO. It's a WordPress plugin. So you can, uh, you know, check that out. But I'd say like taking a step back from that is the, the probably the most important step is the keyword research, which is like, what am I going to write about? And that's a real tricky challenge. Um, one thing you can do is try typing into Google um, your starting keywords. So maybe like hiring for biotech or biotech jobs. And then looking at two things on the Google search results. One is the the suggested additional searches. So at the bottom of every Google search is usually a bunch of other searches that Google considers to be related. 
So you can kind of see, is there anything that is in those searches that might be like a good topic for a blog post? And you can also look at the people also ask questions. I'm sure people are familiar with that if you sort of think about it. There's usually three to five questions within a Google search that Google has sort of decided to surface as related to your query. And you may want to use one of those questions as the topic of a blog post. Those are two kind of ways to think about how do you find what's called what the supporting content um, you know, looks like. Right. And um, and that's it from an SEO perspective. That will get you off to the races, yeah? Uh, the, that's, that's the key thing for on-page SEO, which is called basically how you structure your site. The, the other really important thing, especially in more competitive spaces, is what's called off-page SEO or typically just link building, which is essentially... Um, getting other websites to link back to your website, which is really quite tricky. Um, you know, most B2B businesses, they struggle to figure out who's going to link back to their website. And the reason it's so important is that Google, Google basically uses these links as a measure of your website's kind of importance. Like if you, if for just as a hypothetical, if the New York Times links to your website, that's going to send a very strong signal to Google's algorithm that this is a this is an important website. Um, you know, if you you know more realistically, if you get some uh, links from let's say some recruiting publications or some HR publications, those can also be very important signals from uh, to Google that you know this is something that the algorithm should consider ranking for whatever keywords you're trying to target. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what kind of results when it comes to sort of sharing? the value proposition of doing this kind of work, which doesn't have this sort of yeah. direct ROI, what kind of outcomes and results are you telling people that they could get over a period of time, whether it's three, six months or a year? What kind of results are right. we talking about here? The results can be quite significant. Um, you know, we have had clients who've been able to, I would say, you know, in a span of, let's say, a year. So, you know, doing the work for around a year, then starting, you know, at say the end of year one, you know, in year two, you know, basically close deals with fees, you know, totaling in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, like we are talking about, uh, you know, the opportunity here for quite significant, um, you know, change to your business. And, uh, you know, the key though, of course, is that you have to, uh, put in the work up front as well as, you know, um, you continue to adjust as, as you go. Not every SEO plan, you know, produces the same results. You know, we obviously try to use our knowledge and expertise in our case to structure, uh, you know, a campaign effectively, but, um, there's, there's a lot of nuance here, right? And, um, the results, you know, can vary to be perfectly frank. Um, so. Uh, the, the, the best case is very, very positive. Like any, any business would be extremely happy. Um, but you know, the average case may be something more along the lines of, you know, one to two new clients to your business per, you know, per month. Do, do any success stories spring to mind that you've been involved in? Yeah. Um, I do have one that, that comes to mind. Um, you know, this was a, uh, oil and gas or energy recruiting firm. And they came to us with a website that effectively had no traffic besides people searching for their business name. And, um, you know, we came up with a plan to create those practice area pages I mentioned before and then just execute like a very, um, solid link building campaign for them. And, you know, 
I remember they came to us nine months in and nothing had changed. There was still just a, there was a trickle of traffic coming. They paid us a decent amount of money for this and they were not very, you know, happy. I said, you've got to be patient. We ended up building probably about 80 links to their website, which is quite a high number. And then around month 13, it just sort of took off. Suddenly they're on the first page of Google for all these different terms, you know, oil and gas recruiter, energy recruiter, and the leads just start coming in. I mean, I think what people really struggle to wrap their head around sometimes is what does it actually mean to be on the first page? Because if you're on the first page, especially, you know, in the first three positions, like the amount of traffic that's coming to your website that's like high quality businesses looking to hire you, it's quite significant. And it's really different from the way most recruiters operate, which is a very like outbound mindset. Um, so, you know, it really can change things quite quickly. Um, in the yeah, of- I mean, that's the holy grail for recruiters these days yeah. is to have, you know, solid inbound channels of candidates and clients. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of people see SEO as sort of marketing snake oil, don't they? So it's it's quite a tough bridge to cross, I imagine, for you when you're sort of sharing this value proposition. A lot of people just don't buy into it. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's tricky to explain to people. Um, there's a lot of nuance that will always be left out of that explanation. So no one's ever going to fully wrap their head around it. Um, and you kind of have to sort of look at case studies and examples and sort of, you know, believe that they're also applicable to you. Um, I think, I think it really comes down to the fact that recruiters just, they, they like to hustle, right? And this is the anti hustle approach. Um, this is sort of pay somebody else a decent amount of money to get me on the first page, and then I'll just sit back and wait. And it just doesn't sit very well with with recruiters or other types of businesses. Um, but you know, once that once it does come in, people sort of have that aha moment. Um, you know, when I speak to people, I try to share those aha moments with them from other clients. Um, but yes, it is it is a str- bit of a strange. Um, marketing channel because it is just very hard to sort of understand if i if i tell you i'm going to do email marketing on behalf or here's how you should do email marketing you understand you send out emails people read the emails and then some of them are interested in talking to you and they'll write you back with seo there there is um there's only so much that you can sort of explain to somebody who's not trying themselves to become an seo expert um simply because it's it is quite complicated yeah and are these strategies something that you advise to independent recruiters through small, medium, and large size recruitment businesses, or does it work specifically for different types of organizations? It works for anybody who has the who has the resources to put into it. We have had clients who uh, one of our greatest success stories was a they were a two person firm at the time. They were they'd come to us because I think they were just sick and tired of doing the cold emailing and. I said, let's do an SEO strategy. And they said, we don't have the budget for like what you're proposing with link building. And I said, if you're willing to put in the time, like I will teach you how to do it. Um, but I just warning you, it's like, obviously it's difficult. We'll take care of writing all the content for your site and you'll do the link building. And they said, sure. Um, and you know, they had very quick results within, they were really just put their nose to the grindstone and just went out and built a ton of high quality links. And within six months, they were starting to get traffic to their website. So it can work for the small recruiter. It's just, it is about going back to your opening question about mindset, right? Most people, I tell them, hey, you want to do link building? It involves this many emails and this much writing. They're like, no, thanks. 
Um, but if you find the right person with the right mindset who's like, yeah, I'll do that. I don't mind writing an hour a day. Um, then you can do it as a small recruiter. Well, at the other end of the spectrum from sort of creating inbound channels, you've got the outbound channel that you're also an expert in, which is email marketing, right? Yeah, that's correct. And so tell us a little bit about how you can employ these email marketing strategies of today to drive candidate and client traffic back to your business. Sure. So, I mean, I think that, you know, email marketing, cold emails are basically as old as email. Now. And I don't think to any recruiter this is going to be a, a new idea or one that they're going to struggle to wrap their head around. But I think in practice, having seen what many recruiters do, there are sort of some challenges that you need to overcome to do this effectively, right? To the point where it's really going to make a consistent um, difference to your lead flow. So I'll, I'll give you three sort of key things to think about um, for, for cold outreach. One is that can you make your cold outreach timely? Um, sometimes you'll find recruiters buying lists um, of you know people within their industries and just kind of sending out a, a large blast to people. And you know the problem is many people may not be hiring or may not be involved in the hiring process. Um, and so you're just really ending up looking like a spammer. Um, and so I think one way to sort of solve that is to you know basically only contact companies with open positions. Do your research to find out um, who's actually hiring and for what jobs, and then make sure that you um, you know find the the right people and contact them about those positions. That's that's obviously going to help. The problem with that approach is that it's really difficult to get the volume required. Right? We'll find a lot of recruiters who understand that first point I mentioned very well, but they find it difficult to do it at the scale that's really needed because. No matter how good your cold email is, how how well written your uh, you know pitches and how well targeted it is, it's still a cold email. Most people are going to ignore you, and you kind of have to accept that fact. And so, in order to sort of make up for this high percentage of people who ignore you, you have to do this at scale. And most recruiters don't have the time to do that, right? We recommend sending out at least 750 emails um, a month to people um, if you're going to try an approach like this. And so, you know, in order, you're probably not going to, I mean, I I know no person who has the rest of their job to do is going to be able to do that. So really, I think it's important to figure out a way to outsource the research process, right? Figure out how do you, how can you give the process of matching these open positions to the potential hiring manager or HR representative, and then finding their contact information? Because that's the only way to do it at scale is to give it to somebody else. Um, and then lastly, I think it's, you know, once you have this sort of, you have these open positions, you know, who's um, going to be, you know, potentially interested in hearing from you, you have to think about what you're going to send them. And I think that most people, because they're, again, they're doing this at scale, they're not sending anything that's even remotely personalized. And I think where you can sort of, you're never going to write anybody like an email that looks like it was handcrafted for them if you're doing it at scale. But you can use templates that have variables that are sort of inserted into them. You know, like things like you want to obviously reference the specific job title that you're contacting about, you know, just in putting their company name into the email, little things like that to make it seem less like it was just sent to everybody on your list and more like it was written to them. Um, and I think if you can figure out a process that kind of combines all those, um, those elements, 
you're now going to be contacting a large number of companies per month with a, with a relevant pitch about their open position using sort of language that speaks to their specific needs. And of course, that's going to lead to, I think, a lot greater success than the scattershot, infrequent approach you often see with a lot of, um, you know, independent recruiters. Yeah, I mean, we all get a lot of spam these days, and I ignore virtually all of the emails that I get that are clearly not meant for me. And I'm a big fan of mm-hmm. personalization. I think perhaps, you know, you were talking about you have to do this at scale because so many of these emails are going to be ignored. But what happens if you do take the time to write a personal line or even use one of these personal line generators that seem to be cropping up now in order to try and demonstrate that you're speaking specifically to your prospect? Does that massively improve your chances of success? Well, I think that it's sort of like um, there's there's two sort of variables at play and they're kind of intention, intention with each other, right? Is the more that you obviously personalize, the fewer emails you can send out, right? So I think it's about finding that sweet spot that maximizes the end goal, which is going to be, you know, total um, leads for your business. Like if you sit there and spend an hour, you know, doing your in-depth research on this person and writing like the best email ever, odds are just because it's, because it's a cold approach, it's still going to get ignored. Or maybe like, maybe the person will be impressed with your research, but they're not going to give you the job. So I think like, you don't want to be doing that. And you also don't want to be doing, you know, nothing, you know, sending out just generic emails. I think that there, there has to be that middle ground, um, where, you know, you're going to be referencing things about their job position. But um, I don't know. In my experience, I think that the the individual prospect research where you're like really dive deep into that person's background, I haven't seen the payoff in ROI just because it's just, it slows you down so much, right? And um, I mean, when it comes to content of these types of emails, there's a few different schools of thought, isn't there? Because I've had people yeah. on the podcast who say, you know, when I reach out to somebody for the first time, all I'm looking to do is to see if they're interested in having a conversation. I'm not selling them anything. Yeah. What What do you think are the sort of the top tips for producing the right type of content, the right tone of content in order to generate that first conversation with potentially a client? I would kind of agree with that. Um, I think that it's, you know, Let's say you send out a hundred emails, um, like 95, let's say probably about 70%, 50% of them are not getting opened. Um, 45% of them people just look at it and go like, nah, I don't care. Right. Then you have this left 5% that's sort of remaining. That 5%, if they see that like you come, you've written a polished email with proper spelling and grammar and you know, you're actually speaking about a position that they have trouble, um, hiring for. I think that, you know, you're much better off just trying to get them like to book a call rather than trying to sell them there. Um, because there's really only so much you can say. And a lot of it's just not going to come across in the way that like you think it's going to. Um, I think that like it's, you know, there's no magic words, I guess is another way of putting it. Like there's nothing that's going to get someone's guard to be lowered because it's a cold email just because you sort of said it. Like, so I think you're better off just kind of being upfront and direct and just sort of, you know, seeing if there's an interest level. And I find that that's, that does work the, the best. Yeah. What about sharing a recent success? You know, we just placed a JavaScript developer down the road from you. 
Yeah. So if you can do that at if you can do that at scale, and I think it is possible, that can help. That's that's maybe one um, sort of exception. And you know, I think the way you can do that if you have sort of the right email marketing program is, um, let's say you're trying to let's say there's 20 jobs, different titles that you're trying that you're contacting people about. You can write like a one sentence um, sort of description to pair with each one, like. I just, you know, I just filled a JavaScript position at blank, or I just filled a C++ developer at blank. And you can kind of pair that with the job description, with the, with the job that you're contacting them about. So it kind of gets inserted into the email in the right spot. I do think that can help. It's just, again, it goes back to this tension between scale, doing this in large volume and um, personalization, but it, it can be done. Yeah. And I think similar rules apply on the candidate side as well. There are a lot of tools that have emerged where you can source and reach out to and sequence sets of emails to candidates um, instead of just relying upon that one in-mail that you can send inside LinkedIn Recruiter, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that obviously uh, finding the email or phone number, uh, like a personal email or phone number of a candidate can be tricky. But if you're able to do that, it's definitely going to be a lot more effective to contact them that way with like a multiple um, email sequence than a single LinkedIn in-mail, which is often like never even open because people outside of recruiting usually have their notifications turned off. And unless they're checking LinkedIn frequently, um, you know, and then going into their inbox, they're often not going to see it. What about tools? Do you have any tools, recommendations for people who want to do their own research and sort of look into doing or adopting these types of strategies themselves? Sure. So um, in terms of tools, I think a good sort of um, mid-range cost solution for finding contact information for people would be uh, Seamless. The URL is seamless.ai. Um, I've, you know, we found in doing our own research that they have comparable results to something like Zoom Info, but at like maybe one fifteenth the price. So I think that, you know, if you're going to, you are going to have to pay some sort of annual subscription for these types of tools. But I think that's a good one um, to, to look into. And then in terms of, um, you know, email outreach tools, I think one that I, I would recommend would be Outplay. Um, they're actually a knockoff, knockoff of a more uh, expensive sales, uh, outbound sales tool. Um, but I think they work quite well and are very reasonably priced. Yeah. Have you heard, what about ConvertKit or uh, Lemlist? Have you heard of those guys? I have used Lemlist personally. Um, it's just, it, it has some interesting features. Like for example, you can insert an image into the email and then like overlay text on the email on the image in such a way that it looks like you created a personal image. So like, as an example, what I've seen is like people will take a picture of themselves with like a blank whiteboard. And then every email that they send out with that image has like the company's name or a greeting overlaid like dynamically on that whiteboard. So that's like an interesting feature that Lemlist has. The problem with it is that it has one of the worst user interfaces I've ever seen it's a bit of a nightmare to use. So unless like you have a specific desire for that image feature, I, I wouldn't recommend it. Excellent stuff. Well, thanks a lot, Zach, for coming on the podcast. How do people find you and sort of explore conversations about these topics a little further? 
So um, what you can do is go to our website, talentheromedia.com. And then at the very top, there's a red bar and you will see it says book a call. Um, so I think the, the best thing to do if, if you're interested in talking further is just click that button and uh, schedule a call at a time that's, that works for you. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Zach Allinger, president at Talent Hero Media. Thank you very much. And we'll speak again soon. All right. Thanks, Marcus. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. 